welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 1st of April 2012, entitled, I'll Tell You a Mystery, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. Here's Brother Chris Mansfield. Well, as, um, as you know, Pastor's been um, going through the, uh, the teachings on the church, and I want to go right to the end of the church's life and talk about um, kind of after the church or the last event that happens to the church. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and if you'd like to stand, we'll read from verse, uh, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither uh, comprehend or neither doth um, corruption inherit um, incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all not sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, um, for the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when incorruptible shall be put on in, in incorruption, this mortal shall, um, sorry, then this shall be brought to pass, saying that it is written, Death has swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of this sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know, that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. And just have a quick word of prayer again. Lord, we do pray, Lord, that you would be amongst us, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your words would be spoken. Lord, we pray that anything of man, Lord, would be just put to one side. Lord, I've got my notes, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that you would help me to truly deliver what you want us to hear. And, Lord, that ultimately, Lord, that we would be encouraged, Lord, that we would be corrected even, and, Lord, that people would come and understand that Jesus is the only way and Jesus is uh, the salvation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of this uh, little study is, uh, I'll tell you a mystery. The mystery that I want to talk to you about is the mystery of the rapture. So pastor's been going through the uh, study of the church, and um, I originally wanted to do the five mysteries that were in conjunction with the church, but that would probably take me five sermons, so I just concentrated on one. So... Um, we're going to study today and look at some of the um, effects of the rapture and what the rapture is and what this word mystery means and um, different things. So I thought that we would look at the, uh, the rapture. If you look in verse 51, Paul here says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, the first thing we need to ask is, what is this mystery? What, what is a mystery? Now, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was not a new idea. That is threaded through a lot of the Old Testament. Now this phrase, in a twinkling of an eye, is more, as far as I can make out, that if you was to see someone that you knew afar off and you recognised them instantly, that is what this phrase, in the twinkling of an eye, is teaching us. It's more to do with recognising something or someone that we know that we might not fully kind of get. So it's not so much like a twinkle in your eye, it's more to do with recognising who someone is, and that's what that phrase means. As soon as we can, rec you know, you see someone in the street and you recognise them, that is how fast we will be changed from 
incorruptibility, to, uh, in, in corruption into incorruptibility. So it's more to do with recognizing someone for the first time. And even though we've got the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, at the point of the rapture, we will be changed and we'll be able to recognize who he is for this time, first time. And because of the work of the cross within our hearts, we will know who he is and we will recognize him. So it's that really, it's not so much like a twinkle of the sun in your eyes or, you know, like a, a light shining in your eyes. And it's more to do with recognizing someone for the first time. And this is, um, it's really like um, from a Greek mindset that that comes from. The idea of a mystery is really not an Old Testament concept. Mystery was not something that the Hebrews, the Jewish people, um, quite understood. God was very easily recognizable to them. They'd got the word of God. God visited them in the tabernacle. So these things of mysteries were not something that the Old Testament people, it wasn't a, if you like, a Hebrew thing. It was more to do with the church in the New Testament where you've got Gnosticism coming in and it was like there's this higher... Um, way of thinking and the earthly thing is sinful and the spiritual thing is un not sinful. So the idea of this mystery comes in from a Greek mindset and not from a Hebrew mindset. So the um, we will see the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time and in a twinkling of an eye we will recognize who he is and the idea of this mystery is... Um, something that comes from a New Testament concept with the Greeks and not an Old Testament concept with the, um, with the Jewish people because God wasn't a mystery. God was easily revealed to the Old Testament children of Israel. So if we said in verse 53 it says, we will be changed from corruptible into incorruptibility, if you like, from death to life, from the old man to the new man. And this event is known as the translation not the translation of the Bible, but the translation, uh, the rapture. And the word rapture is not found anywhere in the whole of the Bible. But the idea of the rapture is very much taught within the Bible. So we need to look, as we've said, at this, um, at this mystery. So there's going to be a group of believers that at some point will not see death, that will pass from life um, um, from death to life through the rapture. And as we've said, the doctrine of the rapture was nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed to us in the Old Testament. But this fact of we will not sleep, that some of us will be translated from death to life, was a New Testament concept, and it was nowhere else to be revealed in the Old Testament. And it is important to realize that the second coming and the rapture of the church are two distinct events. Too many Christians put them together and get in a right mess. They are two very distinct events. The rapture of the church and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ are distinct. And this is, Paul is making that point here. The old, a mystery is something that is revealed first to us in the New Testament and not in the Old Testament. So, um, we need to look at this word mystery, and I've said a few things on it and jumped down there in my notes, so we'll just go over a little things. Um, the word mystery occurs 28 times in the New Testament in phrases like you've heard the mystery of the kingdom or the mystery of lawlessness. These are phrases with this word mystery in. The idea is nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. The idea of a mystery is not revealed anywhere in the Old Testament. There's God's will being revealed, but not this idea of a mystery. 
Um, and as we've said, God is not something of a mystery to the Hebrew people. He was their God, and if they walked with him, God revealed himself uh, to them. Um, the word mystery comes into the New Testament from a Greek mindset, and it comes very loosely connected with Gnosticism. Um, that is where, a, a, a way in which the Greek mind used to think. Um, and it's um, the word mystery is not something that is obscure or incomprehensible or secret. It doesn't mean that. It means something that no matter how well educated you are in that subject, you will never find it on your own. You will never come to that conclusion through study. You will never come through your own secular reasoning or even studying the word of God. You will never come to the idea of what this mystery is because it's not, it doesn't mean that. It means something that is revealed to you through a divine means. Only God holds this mystery. And through our secular mind, our infinite mind, we will never understand it. And this is what this mystery is. It was revealed to the apostles. It was revealed to them, and basically only them. They, as Pastor said, put that foundation down to the church, and that transition from the um, Jewish people, the transition from the Old Testament to the New, was given and revealed to the apostles, and mainly to Paul, in these mysteries. And um, it's basically something that's unknown that God has to reveal to us. That's what the idea of a mystery is. It's not something that you could find out on your own. It's something that you need to be enlightened to. You would never, ever find out what this mystery is. So this word um, is understood in the Greek mind and in the pagan mind, not necessarily in the Old Testament mind. So if you turn to uh, Mark 4, verse 11, this gives us a little insight into these mysteries. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but unto them uh, without all these things are done as parables. If you remember, there were lots of times that Jesus taught in parables and then he drew the disciples alongside to himself and he revealed to them the, the mystery of some of these parables. They were taught to the masses, but the mystery and the meaning of what these parables were were only taught to the disciples. And it says there, he was, you are um, people of these mysteries, and that was to the disciples. So... Um, it, these hidden truths were revealed um, to the apostles, and we're studying today this mystery of not some group of people on this earth, Christian people, will be translated, raptured from death to life, and that's that mystery that we're studying um, today. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 4, now this is when Paul, if you remember, is took up into heaven, and it says... It is not expedient for me, doubtless uh, to glory, I will come in visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above uh, 14 years old, uh, 40 years old. Whether he's in the body, I cannot tell, or without the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such one was called up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, um, whether in the body or out the, um, the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Now... Uh, sorry, how that he was caught up to paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for a man to utter. So here Paul is took into the heavenly place and he is given divine teaching from the Lord 
that he's gradually going to reveal to the church. Paul is took to the third heaven, and at that point, it was revealed to him a lot. The, the main person who uses lots of these mysteries is Paul the Apostle. And Paul was took to the third heaven, and he was given um, teaching, divine teaching from God about these mysteries. But you could say, well, that's fine. What about us as individuals or us as a church? What about us and mysteries? I remember um, every now and again we take it in turns or, and we stand at the, the back of the church and, and we say hello to people. And um, there were two, and you know, you basically know who was coming and who was new. So, you know, and there were two young girls came uh, to the back of the church. And um, I was like, well, someone new's come to church. And um, they said, we've come, um, is this the spiritualist church? And I thought, well, no, it's not. Um, but I remember saying to them that you will ref- you'll find more of the mysteries within the word of God in this church than you will find in any super, you know, super spiritual, in brackets, uh, spiritualist church. The mysteries we have got to the world. We've got the keys. We've got the mysteries to unfold to understand things. We've got the spirit of God that will teach us. And they just kind of went, oh, so we ain't the place then, and just went out. And I remember t- talking to Pauline, and apparently there is a spiritualist church somewhere around this church, and they just got a bit mixed up. But they didn't realize that we hold, through the teachings of the apostles, the mysteries. But what about us and um, mysteries? As, uh, as we've said, previ- you know, what we've looked at, uh, the disciples and Paul received these teachings from Jesus. Um, today, the doctrine of the apostles in the New Testament is complete. There's no one, nowhere else that we're going to receive any new revelations on anything. There is things that we are going to understand more, but there's nothing that's going to be totally different that's out of the context of the Word of God. And it's very, very dangerous to start running to churches or even in your own thinking that God is going to do some new thing. God is going to reveal some new mystery to us. God is going to do something different than he's never done before. God is going to do things different, but he's revealed to what what they are in the word of God. So you've heard many say in Christendom, God's going to do a new thing, or there's a new wave of the spirit with new mysteries. As soon as you hear that, just don't go anywhere near it. The only people that these mysteries were given to were the apostles. God said, Jesus taught them in parables, drew them to one side. They didn't fully understand them when he was teaching them, but the doctrine was given to the apostles. And as pastor said, that's the foundation. That's our teaching. God has done the revealing. God has revealed the mysteries to us through the word of God. And it's very dangerous for us to start running around maybe getting a bit bored, not that you should ever get bored with the word of God, but thinking, oh, I'm a bit fed up with this. Is there something else that we can find that's of extra revelation? And that is Gnosticism in its fullest dangerous sense, where you start drawing off things that have got no biblical basis for whatsoever. God is going to do new things, but they are founded in the word of God. So um, if you want to find out what's going on and what's of error in the world just type something in on the internet so i typed in mysteries of the church and pages and pages and pages came up of different ideas of what the mysteries are and but one thing i found interesting being an ex roman catholic was that um, pope john paul ii the old pope not the new one but the old pope he came up with five new mysteries 
to do with when you say the rosary beads. Now, the, the Catholic people, they count their prayers by saying um, their beads. And I think that they've come up with the idea of counting with beads, but little did they know that it was centuries before that. And other people, they were pagans, used to count with beads. But So what the Pope said was, well, we're going to put five new mysteries in to say in the rosary bead. And because the, the Catholic Church think that they have been given over to these mysteries, they are students of what to set doctrine. The Pope, being the pontiff in place of Christ, he can set these new mysteries in place. Now, not one of these mysteries were founded in the Word of God. They were just super mumbo, basically mumbo-jumbo. But because, they've, because the Catholic Church thinks that they can reveal new mysteries and keep people on tenderhooks, what's the next thing going to be? That is what the Pope did. And he set these um, five new mysteries up that you need to say in between, saying your Hail Marys and your Glory Bees and your Our Fathers. So it's something that was hidden, a mystery, something that was hidden, not in the Old Testament, revealed to the apostles in the New Testament, but now we have got revelation to it from the Word of God. And we're looking at the, the mystery of the rapture. So, thank God that we have got these hidden things revealed to us. Um, I should imagine that um, if any of you can go to this, uh, this meeting to do with the, the King James, that there'll be a common thread that the Bible is complete. There's nothing new that we need to add to this book. Um, I remember the one day I was reading through Revelation and my wife took a, an apple sticker off a Brayburn sticker. And you know in Revelation it says, he who adds to this book, and my wife stuck the Brayburn sticker at the back of the book. So she's added like a little Brayburn um, apple sticker as a joke in the back of the Bible. And whenever I think about adding, whenever I turn to my Bible that I read at home, I've got this Brayburn sticker. You know, don't add to the Word of God. And that'll be what this, I should imagine that he's going to be saying similar things, that we can't add anything extra to the Word of God. The Word of God is complete. And these mysteries have been revealed to us through the teachings and through the orthodox teaching of the disciples. So we've said then that the, uh, the rapture is nowhere in the Old Testament because mysteries are only revealed in the New Testament. And we've also said that nowhere in the Bible does the Bible use the word rapture. It uses the word translate or move from one place to another, but it never uses the word rapture. So why do we believe it? Why do we believe in this rapture if it's not in the word of God as plain as day, if you like, or using the right words as what we use now? Why are we looking forward to it? Well, there is events that um, teach us about the rapture that aren't necessarily called the rapture. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 5, we're going to look at a few things that teach us about the rapture, but haven't really got the word rapture in them, but they are describing what the event is going to be like. And um, if you look at verse uh, in uh, Genesis 5, uh, 24... And you'll know this scripture. And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. That word there, took him, is the rapture, is the word taken. That's what it means, to take. So, um, as far as we know, um, Enoch was the first to be taken, or you could put the word rapture in there, taken um, to be with the Lord. And it says that um, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And the word take him is what we would say is the, 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 the word of rapture, to be taken from one place to another place. So Enoch, um, 
was uh, translated from this earth to glory without dying, and he went to um, be with the Lord. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, you could use the word rapture to describe this event. And likewise, in um, John 14, it uses the word taken there as well. If we turn, um, we're going to go back to 1 Thessalonians, but if you turn to John 14 and verse 3, For I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye shall be also. So God took Enoch to the place where God was, and that's what Jesus said, he's gone to prepare a place for us. So um, we've got the event of, um, of Enoch being translated, taken from this world, which gives us an insight of what is, is the description of the, uh, of the rapture. And if, um, if you look in Hebrews 11 as well, Enoch gets a mention there. And in verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he shouldn't see death. Move from one place to another. That is what um, we would say is the rapture, the translation some people use. Move from one place to another. So we've got Enoch, if you could say, he's the first person that was without death, taken from this earth and put to be in glory. Now if you, um, if you look in 2 Kings 2 as well, just like Enoch was took, Elisha, Elijah, sorry, was translated without dying also. Do you remember when um, we've got the event of God sending a chariot of fire down and the mantle fell and um, Elisha picked the mantle up, you know, and he went off, didn't he, in this fiery um, chariot being taken to heaven. And that is the event there in two kings. He was taken with, from a, with a whirlwind into heaven. And that is another little place in the Bible that um, teaches us about um, being taken from one place to another without seeing death to be with the Lord. Now, in, um, in 2 Kings uh, 2.11, the whirlwind here is described as a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Now, I believe these are the, the seraphim that are found in, one, uh, in Ezekiel 1.13. And um, these seraphim are, uh, do you remember when they bit the heels and he said, put the seraphim in on there, and whoever looks at the seraphim in, um, in Numbers 21, do you remember those snakes that bit them on the heel, on the feet, and they lifted up the, let's turn to it. N Numbers 21. Numbers 21, 5 to 9. And the people spake against uh, Moses, wherefore ye have brought us up to Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread, neither is any water, and our soul loveth the light of bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So these were serpents that God sent in judgment to bite the, the children of Israel for moaning about coming out of Israel. Now, it says they're fiery serpents. And uh, these fiery serpents, I believe, are the same fiery serpents that came down and pulled this chariot into glory. And um, if you look in um, Hebrews 1.7, it says there, and the angels, he said, um, who he, who he, his angels are spirits and ministers of flames of fire. That is in Hebrews 1.7. So I believe that in, um, when um, he was taken up, 
in a type of the rapture, Elijah was drawn by God's fiery serpents, by God's ministers, angels of light, by um, these angels that took in this chariot into heaven and he didn't see death. So we've got um, Enoch that was translated. We've got Elijah. Now, um, if we um, look in the New Testament in Acts 8, we've got there, if you remember, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip uh, there was... Um, this man was drawn past in his, uh, in his chariot. That's in Acts 8, 39 to 40. And um, Philip was snatched away by the Spirit of God after he, was, um, he evangelized uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, the, he was reading Isaiah, and he says, I don't understand. And uh, Philip from that place showed him who Jesus was. Now, this is also a type of the rapture, but it's in its lesser sense because it's from one place on earth to another place on earth. It's not from earth to heaven like the other two, Enoch and um, Elisha, but it's still being taken from one place to another place by God, by the Spirit of God. So Philip was snatched away by the Spirit of the Lord after evangelizing the Ethiopian eunuch and um, found himself at Os. This is the, um, the modern-day Gaza Strip, and as I've said, this is a slightly different as Peter was not taken into heaven and he obviously didn't die, but was physically taken from one place to another place. This is a type of the rapture in its lesser sense because if you remember in the context of um, 1 Corinthians 15, it's about we won't see death and we'll be taken from earth to heaven. But this still teaches us about, in a, in a little way, about being put from one place to another. You could say he was translated from one place to another place. Um, but it was, uh, Philip was physically taken from one place to another, and this is a type of the rapture. If you like, Philip was taken from point A from point to point B by God's hand, and um, obviously he wasn't taken to heaven, but he was taken to a place where God wanted him to be. So um, we've got some um, points there of that even though the word rapture is not found in the word of God, we've got the word translate, which means to be moved from one place to another, We've looked at some um, teaching that describes the event of what the rapture will be like from Enoch and from um, Elijah and from Philip. Um, um, and these, even though they don't teach the whole truth about the rapture, they give us glimpses of what the rapture is uh, going to be. But please remember, the second coming and the rapture are two different events. They're not together. They are Otherwise, you couldn't say, I'll show you a mystery. It's something that was revealed only to the apostles that we won't see death as a group of believers that will be translated from this earth to heaven. So let's go on to the timing. If you talk about the rapture, most people always want to say, well, what about the timing of the rapture? When's it going to happen? Well, to be honest, it can happen at any time. That's the end of the study on, on the timing of it. But we need to really have a more of a, a look at that and see what do we mean by the imminent return in the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come to the, if you like, to the to outer space, if you like, and receive us there. And then he will come and dwell on the earth and reign for a thousand years. He will come to the th um, the third heaven, mountain. So I've heard so many different stories of. The teaching on the rapture, I've been to a few different churches that even didn't believe in a rapture. 
I've heard so many different stories of how the doctrine of the rapture has come from and that a Catholic lady invented it and, you know, not only was she a Catholic, but she was a lady, just to, you know, just to make it even stupider. But we've looked that we're not basing on what we teach from people's opinions or what the t church teaches. It's got to come from the, the book, hasn't it? It's got to come from the Bible. And um, it doesn't really matter if you believe in the rapture or not. It don't, by you believing in something or not believing in it, it doesn't make God any different. If, you, if you're a Christian today and you are washed in the blood and you're redeemed and you know who Jesus is and you haven't got religion but you've got a personal relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be part of that rapture. Now, you might be part of a church that denies the rapture. Don't make no difference. You are ready for the rapture if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, even if the doctrine in the church says we refute the, the teaching of the rapture. Don't make any difference. God's word is true. God's ways are true. And what you believe or don't believe don't change God, do they? Otherwise, we could have a sway on what God believes or doesn't believe. So the doctrine of the rapture is true, whether you believe it or not. And we've looked at that. So... As us as a church who do believe in the rapture and, you know, we're looking forward to it, um, what should that produce in us? You know, should we just um, live our daily lives as we want or should we be aware that this could be our last breath or should we just think, nah, it ain't going to happen for ages yet. We've got to have the signing of the peace treaties and we've got to have Israel and worshipping in the temple and we've got to, have, uh, we've got to know where the Antichrist is. But as we said, no, the rapture is imminent. There is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. There is nothing that needs to happen in God's economy for the rapture to happen. And that's why it's imminent. It can happen at any time. So what should it do to us as people who do believe in the rapture? Well, first of all, it should basically keep us right with God, shouldn't it? If we know that the next breath we're going to stand before the God of the universe... And not only that, we're going to be able to give an account. And not only that, he's going to get books out and everything that we've done, every idle word that we've said, he's going to say, you're going to be maybe trying to, you know, pull the wool over God's eyes. And he's going to say, hang on, the books are open. Everything that you've done or said, everything that you've thought that you've done or said, every idle word, every idle deed, it's going to be put out before you. But just let me encourage you, you will hear good and faithful servant because you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will hear those words, but you might have to go through a bit of a grilling to hear them. But that should produce in us, if our next breath is going to be standing before the living God in our new bodies, we should have a short account with God, shouldn't we? We should be confessing our sins, shouldn't we? We want to be ready for him. Pastor has said, the bride will make herself ready. We need to keep short accounts with God. We need to be understanding the tactics of the devil. We need to know that our mind is the battleground. We need to bring every thought captive unto Christ. And that, that will make us then ready to be received unto the Lord. But also, it should produce in us holy conduct. It's no good knowing the doctrine of the rapture in a theological way. Yes, I know everything about the rapture but then it not producing any fruit of holiness in our hearts. It's absolute, that is the reason for it's to produce fruit in us, isn't it? All the teaching of the word of God is not for knowledge. It's to produce fruit in us. 
and to produce character in us and to transform us more into the image of Christ. So we've got, we need to keep short accounts with God. We need to confess our sin. We need to have holy conduct. We can't live as we want. We are willing slaves, aren't we? We are willing slaves. We need to be getting on that altar every day, willingly offering ourselves to the work of God in a holy conduct. And we need to be doing God's work. We need to be, as Steve has said, trying to win the lost, trying to know opportunities to speak, trying to show love to others, trying to love the unlovable. And God's blessing will pour upon us. And even though we can't, God will help us to do these things. So we should have a short account with God in our sin. We should have holy conduct and we should be doing what we should be doing. We, should, we know what we should be doing, shouldn't we? Know. We should be doing it, not just knowing it. We should be doing it. And this is summed up in 2 Peter. So if you turn to 2 Peter 3, 8 to uh, 13. But beloved, be not ignorant of one thing, that the day of the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack in his promise, as some um, men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that should um, perish, but that we should all come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and also the works uh, uh, therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holiness, conversation, and godliness? Holiness, conversation, and godliness. And that's what we need to be. We will be ready. It's interesting there, if you look at the word there in verse 8 of ignorant, that is not fully understanding what God's teaching about this subject. So there are people that Peter's writing this letter and they are ignorant to some of the aspects of the Lord's return. Um, now if you look in verse 5, it says, for these they are willingly are ignorant of. Now that's different. There are people that know this subject, kind of believe that the rapture is true and willingly teach that it's not true. You've got two contrasts there. There's people that want to know what's going on and are ignorant to it. You know, this might be the first time you've ever heard the word rapture. That's not nothing wrong. You know, and I'm trying to help. There is people that know the rapture is there in the word of God and are willingly ignorant and preach contrary to that. And I've been in churches like that. How dangerous a place that is to be, to be a, a teacher. Knowing something's there and be willingly ignorant to teach contrary to it. But there we have it anyway. We need to keep a short account with God. We need to be holy in our conduct, and we need to be doing um, God's work. Now, um, as we've said, the rapture is imminent. Nothing else needs to happen for the event of the, uh, the rapture to happen. And me and uh, lots of people in the church here and... Um, sometimes with pastor, we, we, you know, we have conversations about the tribulation and have you saw what's happening to Israel and all these different things. And um, I remember talking to pastor, um, maybe not last week, but the week before, about the rapture. 
because he has been mentioning it a lot, hasn't he, within the context of the church, you know. Uh, we'll be out of here, he says, doesn't he? And that's, um, that's how Pastor describes the, uh, the translation. Um, so I was talking to him about the, um, the seven years of tribulation and how the rapture and the seven years of tribulation is important to this ch local church here. We are taught it, we appreciate it, we pray for Israel, we know about the rapture, we know about the seven years of tribulation. But it's not a, to us it's major, but it's something that we don't need to fall out with, with people that don't, we need to win them over to it. We need to try and like be, be um, gentle as a dove and win them over to this teaching. But we shouldn't be arrogant with it. We know it and you don't. Maybe to the leaders who are willingly ignorant, we need to be a different approach. Jesus was very different to the Pharisees who should have known better. He called them whitewashed tombs, you know, full of dead man's bones. But to the people that were following their teachings, he showed a different compassion. But maybe to leaders who are teaching it, we need to be different. But to the congregation that don't know any better, they're not willingly ignorant, they're just ignorant. But to us as a church here, the rapture, I mean, I can't wait for the rapture. I want it to happen now. We all want it to happen. You know, who wants to stay on this corrupt, stinking world when we've got glory waiting for us? And, you know, the rapture is just, and it's encouraging and, you know, it says encouragement under the way these words, doesn't it? So, you know, we have, I've had lots of conversations with lots of different people in the church, but it is important to us here and it is to watch us not something that we should um, fall out about it. Now, why, why is there a rapture? If someone says, why, why is there a rapture? Would you be able to show them somewhere in the Word of God why there needs to be a rapture? Now, we've got seven years of great tribulation, haven't we, on this world? Now, if you do give this tract out that Steve's encouraged you to do, you might hear people say, if there is a God, why does he come down and sort all this mess out? You've heard that, haven't you? I've heard that loads of times. If there is a God, why doesn't he come down and sort all this mess out? God is coming down. God is going to sort this mess out, but it's through the means of the seven years of great tribulation. And it isn't how people think he's going to do it. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to pour out all them bold judgments from Revelation. And what you think now is bad, we have got it easy. Now, why is there a rapture? So, first of all, we need to understand we are... Um, in our view in this church, we're dispensational. God can basically do something very different to one group of people and then do something very different to another group of people. How he manages his body or Israel can be very different. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to you know, um, if you like, have some set formula. He can do something completely different if he wants because he's God. So we are what was called dispensational. God manages Israel different than he does the church. God manages, uh, if you like, the tribulation sites in Revelation different than he does the church. We are dispensational. And Pastor has described this uh, on a Wednesday and um, as two mountains. And you've got the, the Israel on one mountain and Israel at the end on one mountain. And then in the valley is the church age. And if you look in the word of God, you can see Israel at the beginning and Israel at the end. But it's only when you go down the valley that you understand about the church age, which is in the middle. So we're now down in that dip. Not that it's a dark place or anything, but it's like just a way of kind of describing it. And, I, and Pastor, I thought it made sense to me, so I just thought I'd use Pastor's teaching there. 
The church age is in that valley. But if you look from the beginning of the Bible to the end, Israel is on the both mountain peaks. So um, we're, if you like, in the church age at this time. We're in what's called the times of the Gentiles. God's um, not finished with Israel. He's just put them to one side. He's put blindness on them and he's brought the church age in. And the times of the Gentiles is found in Luke 21, 24. And if you like, we're in that valley between the two, um, Israel of the end and Israel at the beginning. So why is there a rapture? Well, are we appointed to wrath or to righteousness? Are we going to hell or to heaven? Is God going to pour out judgment on sin on us or on the unrighteous? We've got to be consistent, haven't we, in our thinking? So we're in the church age, and in the book of Revelation, the church is found in Revelations chapter 1 to 3, dealing with the events beginning of the tribulation, beginning when God comes back and sorts this mess out. And then he's found again in Revelation 19 to 22. Nowhere in, in the middle between 6 and 18 of Revelation is the church mentioned. Now, there are Christians who are not Jews in that time period, but they're not the church. They're what's called tribulation saints. It's because the church has gone in the rapture, it's a very different church than it is now. God's favour is going to be towards the Jews and, and drawing the Jews back. We'll, we'll still be Christians, followers of Christ, but it's not necessarily as we see as what the church is now. But there will be Christians. So the church is not mentioned when God is pouring out the judgment of the great tribulation. It's not mentioned at all. So where is it? And we know where it is. It's in glory with God, kept away from that time of, of judgment and trial. So we are what's called, we are pre-tribulationists. We are delivered before God's judgment is poured out on this world. If you turn to Luke 21, verse 34, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with uh, subversion, drunkenness, and cares of this life, so that the day come upon you unawares. For, the, for as a snare shall come upon them that dwell on the face of the earth, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape the things that come up to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Here God, the uh, Lord Jesus, is speaking about the Great Tribulation. And he's speaking about the end times and he's speaking about them seven years. Jesus is saying it will come upon the, anyone who's an earth dweller. This judgment that God's going to pour out will come on the, everybody that's an earth dweller. In other words, no earth dweller can escape the judgments that God's going to pour out through the seven years of tribulation. But there will be a way of escaping this judgment, and that's affirmed in um, verse 36. He says, to stand before the Son of Man. And through the event of the rapture, we will stand before the Son of Man. We will not be on the earth. We will be in glory. Anyone on the earth will not be to be, uh, be able to escape. So this is exactly um, what happens at the rapture. We will stand before the Son of Man and we're raptured off the earth. We're not appointed to judgment and we will stand um, before the Son of Man. Another scripture that teaches us about the pre-tribulation um, deliverance of the church is 1 Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians 1. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God to idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for the Son of heaven, whom he raised from dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That phrase there, the wrath to come, is the great tribulation. God has delivered us, and God delivered the Thessalonian church from that wrath to come, which is another way of saying the seven years of tribulation. So um, the church here in Thessalonians is waiting for the Lord's return. They have been delivered from idols to the true and living God. And it says that Jesus um, will deliver them from the wrath to come. Um, now that wrath to come, as I said, is the, the great tribulation. The reason of the rapture is to remove us from God's judgment. And if you turn to Romans um, one eighteen. It says, therefore, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all righteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, that um, wrath there is just a general wrath towards sin. It's not the, not the great, great tribulation wrath. It's just a general wrath. In a general way, God is genuinely upset about sin and his wrath is kindled against those that are in sin. So that's in a general way. Um, but in Revelation 16, um, 17, 14, 10 to 19, 15, 1 to 7, and 16, 1, the word wrath in that context is the context of the Great Tribulation. So we have um, believers are delivered from God's general wrath against sin. As Christians, we are delivered from the wrath of hell, aren't we? We go to glory. So why shouldn't we also be delivered from the, the wrath of the Great Tribulation? We've got to be consistent. We can't just be inconsistent. If God has delivered from general wrath, from um, the wrath of the, you know, if he's delivered us from, from general wrath, if he's delivered us from hell, which is where we'll be as punishment for our sin, why wouldn't he then deliver us from the, the wrath of the Great Tribulation? And we have to be consistent, don't we? So the believer is guaranteed deliverance from general wrath against sin and the wrath of hell and the wrath of the great tribulation. So if you turn again to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 5 this time, 1 to 10. But the times and seasons, brethren, you, you not need to write unto you. For ye yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord um, shall cometh on the thief as a thief in the night. When they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child and shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are, sorry, ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunk, drunketh in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So, in verse 9, Paul says there that the Thessalonian church is not appointed to wrath. The wrath here, as we've said, is the great tribulation, and it has appointed us to salvation, not to wrath. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. 
The wrath of God was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, wasn't it? For us. He has tasted that great tribulation on the cross for us, if you like, because of our sin. And in verse 8 it says, um, that hope, that hope there is the hope of the blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. It also says that there, there are children of light. Now, another way in which the great tribulation is um, revealed to us is, is, is taught to us as a time of thick darkness and a period of darkness. And um, if you turn to Zephaniah chapter 1, it's in the Minor Prophets by Habakkuk. I'll read it to you. Um, in Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 to 18, it says, the, day, the great day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord is the Lord's return, is nearer and um, hastening greatly, even on the voice of the Lord, the mighty men shall cry there, the day of the, 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 day of the wrath, a day of trouble, a distress, a day of uh, wastelessness and destruction, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of cloud and thick darkness. That is describing the great tribulation. But what I want you to see there is it's described as a period of darkness. And we also know from Joel chapter 2, when the, the sun and the moon will be turned to blood and there'll be a thick darkness, it describes the, the events of the great tribulation there as a thick darkness. But what P, um, Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians is teaching us is we're of the day. We're of the light. So... Um, the day of the Lord is contrasted as a day of thick darkness, and we are of the day, and that day is classed as a day of darkness. It, we can't be there, can we? If we're of the light and we're walking in the light, it can't, we, we can't be there because we're children of the light, just as Thessalonians has said. So the day of the Lord is categorized by um, darkness. It will come, come upon the sons of darkness, and that's the unbelievers, isn't it? Um, because... Um, because we are believers, we are in, in the day, and the Lord will not subject us to that judgment. So the reason for the rapture is to remove us away and keep us safe while God pours his judgment out upon um, the earth. And if you um, turn to Revelation 3, verse 10, it says there, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. In this verse, the church is said to be kept from that hour of trial. It doesn't say keep safe. Lots of Christians believe that we will be kept safe on the earth when God pours his judgment out on the earth. They say we'll be on the earth and kept safe. It doesn't say that there. It says kept from. We'll be removed from. So, we would be removed from, but this can only be fulfilled within the context of the raptured saints. Um, so we can see from these scriptures that the church is raptured away to be with the Lord and we do escape the judgment of the seven years of tribulation. And as I said at the beginning, the rapture is imminent and it says in Romans 13, um, 11 to 12, that the Lord's return is nearer than when we first believed. Every day that passes, we're nearer for the Lord's um, rapture. We're nearer to the Lord's return. And that's what it says there in Romans, that we're closer to that day, every day, every minute that passes than when we first believed. And it says in James 5, 7 to 9, that Jesus is standing at the door. He's waiting to come. He's waiting to return to the earth. He's ready. Are we ready? We need to be 
have sh short accounts with God. We need to be witnessing and doing in the Lord's work. And we need to have holy conduct. So clearly the church is viewed as of escaping the wrath of the great tribulation. And the rapture of the saints is viewed as imminent. That means any time, the next second, the Lord can come for his people. So one last thought. Um, if you believe that the church will go halfway through the tribulation, there's lots of Christians believe that. If you believe that the church can go halfway through the tribulation, can it be imminent? It can never be imminent, can it? It's always three and a half years away. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't use imminent and I go halfway through the tribulation. It's never imminent. It's always three and a half years away. And the same if you are delivered at the end of the tribulation. The tribulation's always seven years away. It's never imminent. So to say it's imminent, you must believe in a pre-deliverance of God's tribulation. You, the rapture must happen before. That's the only context that it can be imminent. If it's not, it's always three and a half years away or seven years away. Now, to me, that makes sense. But there's loads of good Bible teachers out there that say we'll go through halfway through the tribulation. And I, I don't, can't see it at all. It can never be imminent. It's always three and a half years away. So the rapture happens at the end of the seven years and um, we're kept from that uh, um, period of trial. So the rapture ha can happen from this point up until the signing of the seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Now, Israel has signed loads of peace treaties. I think there uh, I don't know how many it is at the minute, but it's when the whole leadership of Israel comes and signs that peace treaty. It's not just one, two little bits of peace treaty and a bit of land here and a bit of land back there. It's when all of the leaders of Israel come. That is that peace treaty we're looking for. I think Israel signed about 30 or 40 peace treaties, but it's when the whole of Israel comes, the leaders of Israel come and sign that peace treaty. That is when... We might see that pen go down on that bit of paper and bang, that's the last point we'll be raptured because then we can start counting seven years and it's, it can't be imminent then. So it's at the point of the signing of the peace treaty with Israel is the last point that the rapture can happen, but it can happen at any time now. So um, thank God that through the Lord Jesus Christ we escape this terrible judgment. You know, but it does give us a heartache, doesn't it? We've got lost ones. And we that aren't saved, we've been revealed this mystery. People have said to me a lot of times, if there's a God, why don't he come down and sort this mess out? He is coming down. He is going to sort this mess out. But it's going to be so terrible for anyone that faces that's on this earth. He's not going to come as a little baby. He's going to come as that eyes of fire. The blood is going to come up to the horse's girder. It's not going to be a nice time. But we've got friends, haven't we? We've got family. We have got people that we work with that aren't saved. So another thing that there are, the Great Tribulation should do is it should increase the amount of time that we spend seeking God in our evangelism individually and collectively at the church. They might laugh at you. I've had Christians laugh at me over, I believe, in a rapture. Christians mock me. You don't believe that, do you? It ain't affected me. It's made me study more, not less. But we need to evangelize. This, we know about this seven years of tribulation coming. What, what are you doing about it? Are you trying to win people over to the Lord? 
We know what terrible place it's going to be. Are we going to win them over? Now, there is something else that's more that's urgent to us as well. In 2 Thessalonians 2.11, just turn there and I've finished. And for, and for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Do you know, if there are people that you're witnessing with now and you have told them of the Lord Jesus Christ, when, that, when the church is raptured, they will be turned over to their own lies. That they, want. they will be turned over to the delusion and we will not have an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. God will turn them over to that strong delusion. The Antichrist is coming to deceive the world. That should make us even more heartache for these people that are lost, that we are talking to now about the gospel. Now, I know that we can't get them in a, a headlock and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But we can ask for a burden for them and we can ask for spiritual wisdom how to talk to them. Sometimes the people that are in your face are the ones with the most pain in the heart. The ones that are the big tough guy are the ones that are complete wimps really. And we need to know how to talk to these people because after the rapture, they will be turned over to the delusion. They will believe the lies that they believe in now and they will not have another opportunity to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. They will perish. Like I said, though, God has got his tribulation saints. There's a new group of people that are coming that have never heard anything of the gospel. And that is where God's going to be. That is where God's going to be revealing himself to. God has had centuries of the gospel going out through this world. There's going to be a point where it'll be that is enough. I will turn them over to that strong delusion. They will believe that lie. And that is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. If you're in this meeting today and you think everything's all right, God's going to stay on that throne, I'm going to be able to do what I want for centuries or hundreds of years, that's what the world's living. It's for today, isn't it? We know what's going to happen. We know there's seven years of great tribulation. We know there's an antichrist. We know there's deception coming. There's deception in the church now and people are following it. What is the antichrist going to do? If they believe in things that are obvious, what is they going to do when the Antichrist is deceiving them and create a beast making it speak? They're going to be deluded, aren't they? So it should pro pro produce in us as Christians holiness, keep short accounts with God, holy conduct, but it should promote evangelism, shouldn't it? We want, do we want these people to escape this judgment or don't we? Have we got that compassion like the Lord has or don't we? Are we that bothered? We need to ask ourselves that question. I need to get back to where I was when I first got saved, when I weren't bothered about what people thought about me. And even though I didn't know, I knew hardly anything, I was telling people that the Lord's coming, that they need to be ready. That's about all I knew, but I was telling them, we need to be the same. Now, as I've said, the doctrine of the, the rapture is important to us as a church. It's a mystery, but thank God it's been revealed to us. We need to pray, don't we, that God will give us these opportunities in the next few weeks. We want to see all these chairs filled, don't we? And it's, you know, I, people ain't going to come off, off the streets, are they? And come into church, we've got to go out, haven't we? And win them over. We know what's coming. Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that even though, Lord, that... 
in times past, Lord, where you were far off. Lord, that you have drawn close to us, Lord, closer than a brother. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that it teaches us, that it pre-warns us. Lord, I thank you for these things, Lord, that are classed as mysteries, Lord, that we would never have understood, yet you chose to reveal them to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to truly understand this doctrine of the rapture. Lord, we don't want to know it in theory. Lord, give us faith to believe it. Lord, increase our faith to know that one day we will be changed in a twinkling of an eye, that this corrupt body will put on incorruptibility, that we will be able to be standing before the Son of God, that books will be opened, that we will be given an account of every idle word, every deed that we've said. But Lord, I thank you, though, that we will hear good and faithful because of your Son who was good and faithful. Thank you, Lord, that our redemption is in Christ and if nothing apart from us, Lord, can be any help towards that. But we thank you that in spite of us being sinners, you died for us. But Lord, I pray, Lord, for that compassion. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have the compassion for the lost. Lord, we confess, Lord, that some people, Lord, we, we just choose not to talk to. Lord, we are frightened of them, maybe. We're frightened of consequences, maybe. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to fear you. Lord, that you would help us to present this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Lord, I pray, Lord, that today you would help us to be encouraged that one day we will be changed, we will be taken from this world, and we will stand before the living God. And I thank you, Lord, that we can read this in your word. We can see examples of it, Lord, threaded through scripture. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be amongst us, Lord, in encouragement today. Lord, we've got small glimpses of what the world is going to be like, small glimpses of how Israel is being oppressed, small glimpses, Lord, of these birth pangs that the Bible describes. But yet, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you've got it all in control and that you're waiting at that door ready to return. Lord, I pray that you'd make this church ready. Lord, that you'd make us all ready and willing to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.